Would you join me tonight then in the book of Joshua, excuse me, the book of Judges, the book of Judges. I Someday I'll get that over with. I even put it in my notes. We're in the book of Judges. We had kind of an introduction uh, last week to the book of Judges, and we noticed that Judges is mentioned in the scriptures, and it was the time of... Uh, of Ruth, it was in the times of the judges that there was that great famine, and and uh, that family was caused to move over to Moab, and there she they met Ruth. Uh, we have it mentioned a number of times, and we have even in the book of uh, Hebrews four of the judges are mentioned, and you look at them, and they're some of the most nefarious of the judges. So I'm thankful that we can read with regard to Lot just Lot. And that means, that word doesn't mean he was the only one. It means he was justified Lot. So we're thankful for the grace of God. Here in the book of Judges chapter 1, I want to read the first four verses here and spend some time on the subject that is brought up here in Judges chapter 1. And it says here in verse 1, Judges chapter 1 verse 1, now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass. Now, How this is set up chronological, I don't know. But we do find in the second chapter of the book of Judges, would you just go over there for just a moment to the second chapter of the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2, and there in verse 6. Judges chapter 2 and verse 6. And it tells us here, And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being a 110 years old and they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Tenathares in the Mount of Ephraim on the north side of the hill Gash. So we have here his death and his funeral service and the extent of his leadership of the children of Israel. But as we go back to the first chapter, we find that this incident appears to have taken place after this great man of God, this great uh, man who trusted the Lord. He was uh, one of the faithful servants that came back and said, you know, we don't know how God's going to do it, but God said he would do it. He'll give us this land. And when he got over there in the land, he is mystified at how this is going to take place. And then the captain of the, Lord, of the Lord met him and said, the battle's not yours, it's mine anyway. So they went on and took the land. So we have the death of Joshua here. But in this verse 1, it says, Israel, the children of Israel, asked the Lord, saying... Now, when I read that, it kind of... I have the feeling that it appears... In this verse that the children of Israel were truly sincere and they were concerned uh, at what they wanted. They, They said, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? So even at the time of Joshua's death, there was many of the Canaanites. And I just had to refresh myself. The Canaanites were the people that were living there all the time. They're the ones that were living there when they went into the land. And we're going to look at this as a type, because when the Lord saves us, we still have a lot of Canaanites. 
And that's what we deal with every day. We deal with our the, that which we had when we were born physically. We're going to be dealing with the flesh. Who will go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah. So they inquired of the Lord how grand it is for these people to inquire of the Lord. And then we have the Lord come back immediately and say, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. Now, Judah as the tribe, and then it says in verse 3, And Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, now this is his true brother, his full brother, he said unto him, Come up. Now, the tribe of Simeon is there. They are uh, close relatives. Come up with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went up with him, and Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they slew them in Bezek 10,000 men. Well, we're going to stop there with our reading because we want to spend some time on this subject of who it is that is going to go up and what the problem is. There were many Canaanites remaining in the possession of the land of the children of Israel, and they asked we need somebody to be our leader to go up, and they go to the right one. They go to the Lord. They ask of the Lord, and the Lord's decision is that Judah will go up. Well, it's it's so fortuitous. It is so providential that Judah was the one that was requested by the Lord because we're going to find out that it's Judah that was led to bring the Son of God into this world. So he's really speaking about the ministry and the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. The children of Israel asked, they were, were given the answer, and I'm, it appears that they had a sincere request to be made known, and who shall go up to finish off the Canaanites or to bring more of them into subjection. And we find as a result of this that 10,000 were taken care of. 10,000 of the Canaanites, it doesn't mean that all of them were taken care of. We're going to be spending some time here in the book of Judges with that very thing. But would you turn with me to the book of Second Chronicles at this moment? In the book of the Second Chronicles chapter 32. In Second Chronicles chapter 32, we have a very interesting passage of Scripture that shares with us how wonderful the grace of God is to his people. How wonderful it was that he chose Judah to throw off these Canaanites. How wonderful it is to find out that that Judah is really speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that can is able to restrain our own inheritant nature. And that is the, the flesh that we have. In the book of Second Chronicles chapter 32, beginning with verse 1, we read these things. After these things, and the establishment thereof of Sennacherib king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah, and encamped against the fenced cities, and thought to win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come, and that he was purposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the waters of the fountains that were without the city, and they did help him. So there was gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Also he strengthened himself and built up a wall that was broken and raised it up to towers and another wall without, 
and repaired Milo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. And he set the captains of the war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city and spake comfortably unto them, be strong and courageous, be not afraid. Now it's interesting how much preparation he made, but he realized, Hezekiah realized, as we're going to find out that these people of Judah did, that the, the battle really is the Lord's. Be not afraid, be, be strong and courageous, be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there is more with us than with him. With him, now notice this verse 8, with him is the arm of the flesh. What a statement Hezekiah makes about the king of Assyria. And we're going to say, we could say that truly about the Canaanites. The, with them is the arm of the flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. What a gospel message Hezekiah preached. And truly those, as we see here, they rested upon those words. And that's what the church does, rests upon the word of the Lord, rests upon our true Hezekiah, the one that has promised that he will do everything on our behalf. Now they had their battle shields and they had their swords and they had their preparation made, but they realized that even at that, we have the sword of the spirit. I mean, there's no more powerful sword than all the world has ever been, is this sword that we have. But we don't have the control over its use. We are only requested and I think probably more strong, we are demanded we are demanded, if we know grace, we are demanded to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the outcome of that is not in our hands, but we have, as it says here, we don't want to go on the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us. And that's really what a statement is made for our everyday life, whatever for our monthly life, all of those those offerings that we read about on Sunday, the daily, the Sabbath, the monthly, the yearly, several yearly ones, all of that is truly commanding us to rest upon the grace of God. So God, our, for the Lord our God to help us, with the, him is the arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And what a statement is made. And, you know, by the grace of God, we can trust that. Now, our flesh will reel at that sometimes, but God has given us the grace to trust him in that. The people rested themselves in the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah, just as the church rests in the words of the Lord. The Lord says, peace be still, fear not. And many times those kinds of words come up, and the church, the, the battle is not ours. The battle is the Lord's. Now, as we go back... Over there to the book of, uh, we re we remember that uh, they were going to fight against the Canaanites. And I asked the question, who are the Canaanites? What does that have to do with us today? And they are those who already were dwelling in the land. And we really get a grip of that when we think about what we have when God saved us. We still, he gave us the land. He gave us salvation. He gave us free salvation. He gave us salvation by grace. He gave us all of his salvation, but he didn't do anything for our flesh. 
The only thing he does for us in our flesh is causes us to understand what wretched beings we are, and it's only grace that can save us. And secondly, that he is the only one that can restrain it. He, by his grace, restrains us. And I'm just thankful for that. I'm thankful for restraining grace every minute of every day. And when he doesn't restrain me, I can just be thankful that he's going to sometime. So this restraining grace, what is to be done by the saints when it is known that even though we are blessed with the great salvation we find in our flesh, there are still great numbers of Canaanites. We still have those that we had when we were given the new birth. We still have those what we have when we were born. We still have all of that. Well, we find out, uh, turn with me to the book of Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. We notice here that the Apostle Paul was led to deal with this. Uh, today, I, uh, I, I just, when I, when I spent some time with a young man today, I said, we're going to start with the first time we meet Saul in the, in, the book of, in the Bible. And that's in the book of Acts. And those people threw their coats at his feet as he consented to the death of Stephen. And then we find him absolutely insane with hate toward the church. And he went about to do all kinds of destruction with the church. And there was great persecution came on the church at Jerusalem as a result of this man. And then we went down through the scriptures there, two or three places, and we ended up there in the chapter where he's on the road to Damascus, and he has stopped. And then we went over to the man Ananias there in Damascus, who was scared to death of this man coming down. He was afraid of what he had planned on doing. And the word came to him, and he understood that this man came not to bless them, but to capture him and haul him off to Jerusalem. And the Lord comes to him and says, I want you to go over there and visit with this man because he is a chosen vessel of mine. And he went over and the first words out of Ananias' mouth to this Saul of Tarsus was, Brother Saul, things have happened. And Saul is, Paul went on to write in the, when it pleased God. We went down that whole line, and I said, show me in here where Paul exercised free will to choose God, and it's exactly the opposite. Anyway, he was used by the Holy Spirit to uh, write this statement here in the book of Romans chapter 7. He was mightily used of God because he had such a reputation, yet he, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Now, when we read about that Pharisee saying, I thank God that I'm not like other men, Saul of Tarsus would say that 10,000 times more potent. I'm thankful that I tithe. I tithe more than anybody else. I thank you that I pray. I thank you I do all these things. That, that guy is just a very small piece of Phariseeism compared to Saul of Tarsus. And when God saved him, he quit arguing with God. And he quit finding fault with God, and he bowed to him as God, the Lord made him willing in the day of his power. Now, I do want to get over here to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 and verse 18, we read this. Paul said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, 
I have lots of Canaanites. <laughs> Dwell, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Now, before he was saved, he didn't have a problem like that. There, he didn't have that issue come up. There was no issue like this. But when he was saved, he had this issue, this battle, because he had Christ in him. He had the Holy Spirit in him. God does not create a perfect man in us. He gives us the man Christ Jesus. He gives us the Holy Spirit. So he's not making us better somewhere. He's giving us something that is altogether lovely. And now we have this flesh. We have the Canaanites. And what shall we do about it? Take it to the Lord. He says, plead Judah. Go to Judah. Well, we know who Judah represents. We'll get to that in just a moment. So, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And if we'll go on just a little bit more, we find that the Holy Spirit gave this man again these words found in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. The book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, we have this man who didn't have any problem at all with this problem before he was saved, but now he's bringing it up and the Holy Spirit is calling on him to write about this because this is the issue that we all have there is the land, yes, and God gave it all to us. Yes, we have saved, and we have as much salvation now as we will ever have. But in this life that we have, we still have the Canaanites. We still have that nature. And what does that do for us? It humbles us. God would be merciful to me, a sinner. God would be merciful. And I just trust him that he's going to take care of this problem for now. And eternity, we'll not have that problem because he's going to take away that part. We'll have a new body like unto his glorious body. Well, here in the book of Galatians chapter 5, for the flesh, verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. What's that mean? They do not get along. You cannot... <laughs> Uncle Mo says, you cannot serve the Lord and the devil at the same time because they're going in d different directions. <laughs> well, he says here, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other. The inhabitants of Canaan, the Canaanites, and the children of Israel that came in, they worship totally different gods. Now, we're going to find out that a bunch of those Israelites went ahead and adopted all those, but as the type, the picture of the children of God, there was total difference on this. God is in heaven. He rules and reigns. He's the absolute sovereign over all things. And the Canaanites said, well, we've got this idol, and we've got that idol, and we've got this idol. Well, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would paul brings that out the things i would do i do not the things i would not do those are the things that i do well we'll get to his issue in just a moment but turn with me if you would as the lord speaks on this subject in john chapter 6 now in john chapter 6 we find that this this subject is again brought up, and it tells us that we cannot use the flesh 
we cannot use the flesh to serve God. It is it's incompatible. There is such a contrary spirit about the flesh and serving God. Now, we can worship him with our spirit, but we cannot worship him with our flesh. We pray to God that he keeps it restrained because it is the spirit, verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth. That's what gave us that life. It is the spirit. John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. It didn't make any contribution. There was nothing that the flesh had that it could contribute to what we have in Christ Jesus. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. So, the, the absolute omniscience of the Lord about all things. But he said, it is the spirit that quickeneth. Go back to John chapter 3. It's the spirit that quickeneth. We go over to the book of, of uh, 1 Peter. It is, we're quickened by the spirit. So we have this, but we still have what Israel had when they came into the promised land. We still have Canaanites. We still have this nature. And it is contrary <coughs> I'm so thankful that God gives us his grace to restrain it. And we don't put our hands around ourselves and restrain ourselves. It is God that restrains us. Going back, we find that the as they asked the Lord, saying, who shall go up for us against the Canaanites, is fortuitous, is so glorious, that here in the very beginning of the book of Judges, the tribe that the Lord said will go up for us is the representative of the one who is able to deal with the problem. The lion of the tribe of Judah. There he says, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. Judah shall go up. Well, as we follow the subject of Judah in the scriptures, turn with me what for a moment, if you would, to the book of Genesis chapter 29. In Genesis chapter 29, we have Leah's children. Now, I have to admit, I didn't realize when I was reading this that Judah and Levi were full brothers. That's kind of interesting. It was to me. But in the book of Genesis chapter 29, in Genesis chapter 29, beginning with verse 31, now, when Jacob married on his wedding night, his father-in-law messed with him. And he put the oldest daughter, Leah, in the tent. And they're married. And then he got Rebecca. But notice here. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. I said, Rebecca, it's Rachel. And Leah conceived and bare a son and called his name Reuben. For she said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction and now therefore my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son, also, and she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now, this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. 
And she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. Here we have those four sons listed, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And much is written in from here to the next place we're going about Judah, and he's a scoundrel. He's immoral. He's a scoundrel. And yet we find in what Jacob was able to do that I don't find very many people throughout the scriptures had the gift that God gave him, and that was to have all 12 of his sons stand in front of him and tell them what kind of men they were, how they were going to turn out. Well, it is brought out in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 49. In Genesis chapter 49, we have 20 chapters later, we have that uh, uh, Jacob is in is in front of his 12 sons. He's about to die, and he has this to say. The only one I want to read is about Judah. Chapter 49, and there in verse 8. Chapter 49, verse 8. As Judah, it says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Oh my goodness. Hmm. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Hmm. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Hmm. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the, the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? And verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And until him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal upon the vine and his ass's colt upon a choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Now in that few short verses, we have a number of prophetic statements about the Lord Jesus Christ using Judah as the type and Christ as the antitype. Now we find out that Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah, and uh, we'll get to that in just a moment. So Judah was called on by the Lord to go up and deal with these Canaanites, and we find out that he is a type and a shadow and a picture of the only one that can deal with the Canaanites. He is the one that has trusted that the the Lord will do his job and his business. But before we move from this, I want to go back to the chapter 43, or 43 and 44 because Judah does something in these two chapters that are such pictorial, so pictorial of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he was there when his brother was sold into slavery. He was, well, he, he was there when his brother was thrown in the pit. He was there when his brother was sold into slavery. And he is with the ten when they go down asking for food. They're having a, a terrible, terrible famine in Canaan where the Canaanites live. That's where Jacob and his family were living to begin with. That's where Abraham was, Isaac was. Jacob and the 12 sons and all of Jacob's daughters were there. And so we get here in the book of uh, Genesis chapter 43 and we find in verse 8 that they're down bargaining with the brother and don't even know it. They don't know who he is. Now he dressed like an Israelite and he speaks Egyptian 
and he kept himself from revealing himself till the very end. So it's been years. This young man, he's gone from a boy to an adult, and he's second in command down in Egypt. And they find out this is our brother. Well, as they're dealing with him, it tells us here that this brother that they don't know is their brother said, is there another son? Do you have another brother? I won't sell you any more food if, unless you bring him down here. Well, it turns out that Joseph and that brother are full of brothers. And he makes the statement, I will not sell you any more food until that brother comes down here. Well, notice what Judah does here in Genesis chapter 43, verses 8 and 9. And Judah said unto Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and thou and also our little ones. I will be surety for him. What's that mean? If there's any punishment that is due, I will take it. You know, that's exactly what Christ did for us. He is our surety. We couldn't pay the price, but he did. He can and he is. I will be a surety for him. Of my hand shalt thou require him. If I bring him not unto thee, I set him before thee and let me bear the blame forever. All right, let's go to the next chapter and we find out in chapter 44 and verse 32. This Judah, this one that is born to Leah and to, and to Jacob, his brothers are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. And here in verse 44, chapter 44, verse 32, the scriptures share this. He says, For thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, I will bring him not unto thee. If I bring him not unto thee, then I will bear the blame to my father forever. He became the surety. Now, none of the other brothers volunteered for that, but it truly with his name being Judah, is a true picture of the real Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah, being our surety, being the one that would stand and pay the cost, pay the price of our redemption, and that is to pay for sin. Now, Mr. Hawker mentioned this is the third promise of grace in the Bible. Number one, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that the... the you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. And chapter uh, Genesis chapter 22, it, he shared with Abraham, in you, in thee, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's another statement. And out of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. And then we have this. A scepter shall not depart from Judah. Now, once the Messiah was born, there was no more need for the tribe of Judah. We don't need him. Now, there are no doubt people that are or were of the tribe of Judah, and some of them were saved. But we don't need that genealogy anymore. We don't need the rest of the tribes of Israel. In fact, the Lord says, I regarded them not. And if they want to trace their line, that's their business. But there's very few that are actually true Jews anymore. So there was this one Judah. Now, as we think about God telling the children of Israel, I choose Judah. Now, this is interesting because when we get to the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, 
in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, someone was going to come up with the thought that said, well, uh, mm, he's not the right tribe. He should be of the tribe of Levi if he's going to be the priest. Well, here in the book of Hebrews chapter 7, the Holy Spirit brings this subject up and shares with us, shares with us, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. Now he comes through Judah, David, and down to Mary and Joseph both. And that's one reason we have them going to Bethlehem because their ancestor, David, they must go to the house of their ancestor and their ancestor is David. They're of the tribe of Judah and they must enroll for taxation and that's why Jesus is born in Bethlehem and not in Nazareth. Well, it was prophesied that that's what was going to take place. It is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And we say, well, hallelujah. We're not under the Levitical priesthood. We're under the tribe of Judah priesthood. And this priesthood is like, as it goes on in the next verse, it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. So we have the tribe of Judah, we have the similitude or a type like Melchizedek who had neither father nor mother, beginning of days or end of life. So we have that. And uh, we have, as a result of that, backing up to verse 12 here, it says, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. And the church says, you know, that's good news. (laughs) That is really good news. What's the law of the Lord? Trust me. What's the law of God? Believe on me. It's a command to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a command to, to uh, love him. And yet he gives us that to do. And then in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation chapter 5, we have this brought out. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, this glorious statement made here, with regard to the one who can prevail or who did prevail. And we want to be on the side of the prevailer. We want to be on the winner side. And he certainly did prevail because it shares with us in here in uh, uh, verse 4, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. So we have a lion of the tribe of Judah, and at the same time we have the lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. So weep not. We have a prevailer. We have a lion of the tribe of Judah, the prevailer. So it's no wonder that over there in the book of of, uh, Judges, that when the request was made, who shall go up for us? God Almighty said, Judah. Judah will go up for you, and he will defeat those enemies. Now, we must ask, who will undertake for us against our Canaanites? 
Who will undertake for us? And you know what? The same instructions are given to us as unto them. The battle's not yours. The battle is mine. You cannot win over one sin. If we could, we'd do that, but we can't. So we have all of this. And it, uh, just turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews again as we read this continuing saga of this great line of the tribe of Judah, the Savior, that came to deal with the problems that we can't deal with. We, it's not enough to have someone say, do the best job you can. That's not enough. The, the issue is we must be as holy as God is. Or we'll not see God. So we need a prevailer. We need someone to take care of the problem. So here in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 26. Uh, I want to back up to verse 25. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. By the sacrifice of himself, he has taken and put away sin. Oh, that's our problem. That's our Canaanites. Now, all the sin that we have ever committed and will ever commit has been taken care of at the cross. And we have the instructions from the Lord, go and sin no more, knowing full well that we cannot keep that. That is only one that could keep that. So we have that great encouragement When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Well, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians, chapter chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, as this subject is continued to be dealt with in the Scriptures, someone has been chosen, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We have someone has been chosen to deal with this. We have Jesus, whose name means Savior, and the very name is brought up in the book of Matthew chapter 1, for he shall save his people. Now, he's a surety for them already. In eternity past, he is the promiser that I will pay their debt. In time, in the end of the world, he paid the price. And here we have in the book of Colossians another issue that we have against us, and it was taken care of. In the book of Colossians Chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Who is this? Get Judah. He's the one that will go and fight for you. Get Judah. I prescribe Judah. That's what God said. Well, we're going to find out in a while. Most people won't take God. What did... God tell Samuel, they've not rejected you from ruling over them. They've rejected me. It says, for in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I can't get my hands around that. The fullness of the Godhead in a bodily form. 
every characteristic and every attribute that we can read about God was in this man, Christ Jesus. He was like unto us, yet without sin. He came as our surety and paid for the price. And ye are, verse 10, ye are hmm, complete in him. If you ever want to write a hymn, take that verse. We, ye in him, ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Handwriting, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. Sorry, I broke that one. 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 I broke all ten of them. And more than once in one day, I've broken all of them. Well, he says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Everything about Judah, this Judah, is a triumph. He triumphed over all powers and principalities, everything everything that would hinder. He's the one that has overcome all of that. And that's who we have as our Savior. Now, the Apostle Paul was used again to write this to, the, to Timothy. And he, he's writing it to us in our day in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And verse 10. Something else that Judah did for us. He abolished death. He abolished the fear of death. Do you know what death to the believer is? It's a portal. That's what it is. It's a portal from here to glory. All right, he says, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life in immortality to light through the gospel. Who's that for? Everyone that Jesus Christ died for. That is theirs. This is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It is not a mistake that God would choose Judah to go up against the Canaanites. They're first off in the book of Judges. It is providential. It is glory to the fullest that he would have his son come and deal with the problems that we have. It is providential. It is the Lord of glory. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, and I read the other day and I had a man tell me just recently in the book of Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, that's the Apostle Paul before he was saved. The Apostle Paul didn't have those thoughts before he was saved. You know what his thoughts were? Kill the Christians. <laughs> That's what he thought. I'm doing God a service. 
I'm, th- I'm doing God a service. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I have circumcised the eighth day, and I have it down pat. He didn't have this conflict until after he was born again. So join me, if you would, in the book of Romans chapter 7. In the book of Romans chapter 7, we have the Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, once again to share with us this wonderful blessing that God has for us. And it is found here in Romans chapter 7, verse 24. It says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then the next verse, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. It is the Lord and the Lord only that can bring us into the state of salvation. And as a result of that, he has promised to deal with our Canaanites. We will continue in this glorious book, next few verses, the Canaanites were dealt with by the tribe of Judah and Simeon. All right, we'll stop there for tonight.